I was raised in the home of a preacher man. Heard mama praying time and again. That put something in me I don't wanna let go. She that took me to church night after night. And singing, that's been my life. This is my heritage, my Christian heritage. Oh, I've got something that will pull me through when there's nothing left to cling to. I was taught. You're listening to HGR Preacher's Corner. I'm here with Dr. Shield. Dr. Shield, tell me a little bit about your testimony. I received the Holy Ghost May the 1st, 1961, in Stuttgart, Arkansas, at the age of 12. I started preaching soon thereafter. And as a teenager, I had a little church in St. Charles, Arkansas. Uh, That church started in 1927. I wasn't a founder then. But then when I finished high school in 1966, I hitchhiked to B.B. Arkansas and started the church that I'm the founding pastor of now. My son helps me, but I'm still there and still the senior pastor. Uh, I preached my first revival in B.B. Arkansas in a storefront. I had my 14th birthday in the middle of the revival. But that church was a home mission church, and it didn't survive, so I had to start over when I came back. And uh, BB's 7,000 people, it was 2,200 when I came to BB, but uh, we have a flourishing apostolic church in the town for that size. And uh, I've been there ever since 1966, 49 years. Well, tell me, um, we're going to talk about the call in the ministry and some of these questions, but how do I make sure my calling is really from the Lord? Well, I've told people that don't really get wrong if you know you are, but try not to do it 
And if the Lord wants you to do it, he's going to fix it where you need to do it or have to do it. And uh, so the best test is to see what it's like if you're not doing it. And people that have the itch that see the glamour and the reality of it later just don't know. Uh, there's a price to be paid for every success in the ministry. And rightly so. It wouldn't be worth having if you didn't have to pay the price to have it. Uh, I just always knew from day one that I would have to preach. Now, some people have an audible calling, some people this and some that. But it was just something that was with me, spiritually speaking, just like eyesight or speech. It just came and I knew. And how, how do I know if I'm living out my calling the way the Lord intended? Through prayer is about the best thing I would know to do on any matter and, and make yourself very vulnerable to God and uh, listen to what He says because uh, He actually has more to say to us than we do to Him uh, and follow the leadership of the Spirit. And the only way you can do that is through prayer, gotcha. consecration, dedication. And can God really use someone in ministry who can preach but is not very good with, like, you know, administrative details or necessarily effective witness? Uh, I think so. I mean, I've known some great preachers that on a day-by-day basis were not that successful, but they probably would come under the heading of helps or, you know, they need help to do it. Everybody's not a pastor. Everybody's not an evangelist, and it doesn't diminish the authority or the impact or the talent of an evangelist. Uh, I'm not saying that an evangelist is subsidiary, but uh, there are people who are good pulpit preachers that don't have great abilities to deal with people on an everyday basis. But those things could be learned if they're a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. <laughs> Yeah, and since since my calling is from God, should I be unconcerned about the expectations people have for me? No. Uh, you you would be concerned about what people think. You can't have the attitude, I don't care what they think, or you'll be preaching to empty pews. Uh, it is important. You have to have a good report of them within and without. But we don't need to be political in our preaching to the place that we cater to carnal attitudes, spirits, etc. Uh, you need to cater to God first, but what people think does matter. And as far as, um, let's talk about ministry experience. How do you handle distractions in a service, like false tongues, outbursts, anything like that? Uh, it, it depends on every circumstance is different. Sometimes totally ignore them. And they kind of can, you know, flow out. If it's somebody that's adamant and out of order, the extreme would be to tell them to sit down. Uh, sometimes it's a situation where the musician can bail you out. You know, they can start a course very gently. You have to be careful, though, lest you hurt somebody that's just getting into the use of the gifts and, and they're, that makes them more afraid to obey God that they'll be rebuked or whatever. But you've got to be very spiritual yourself. And in my own personal experience, uh, it's always been a trial to me because I don't want to touch anything that God is a part of. So you have to be careful. 
But really, the regulations for tongues interpretations in 1 Corinthians 14, and if we follow that, we should be fairly safe. And how has being in the ministry affected your family life? Well, in my case, it's been a very positive experience because my whole entire family is involved in my ministry by choice. My children are all grown and have their own families, but they still choose to be a great part of the church. So it's been a very positive experience for me. I realize everybody doesn't feel that way, but I do. Let's talk about education, something that is very dear to your heart. How important is higher education for ministers? Uh, We have an educated public, and I think that everybody ought to have as much education as they can get. Remembering this one thing, you don't have to give up anything in your heart to have something in your head. But if you come to the place that the education is a substitute for spiritual death, then it's it's anathema. It's a bad, bad thing. Uh, it can be very detrimental if you think you're so smart that you outsmart God. That won't work. But I think education is very important because the educated world they want somebody that knows something about what they're talking about before they listen to them. So it's increasingly important as time goes on in our society at least. And what advice would you give a minister entering a non-apostolic Christian university? Uh, I would, if I was the one mentoring them, that they need to be very established in the doctrine. Uh, they need to have the fundamentals down pat because the influence of this world is to tear down and destroy what we stand for. But I went to several schools that were not apostolic, and uh, but I was rooted and grounded in this truth before I went. So it, as far as a detrimental effect on me, I don't think it had one. But it's, I think education is very important. And how important is Christian education in a local church? I feel like that every church that does not have a Christian school should be striving to have one. Uh, I know a lot of schools are closing, but I think we need Christian schools more today than we ever have. Uh, I know we're not made fun of to the extent that maybe one day we were, but the sad part of it is the church world as a whole has made changes toward the left that's made the persecution lighten up because there's not as much to be persecuted. But uh, uh, Christian education, to me, it's it's the parents' responsibility because that was what God told them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But he said, teach it diligently to your children. My personal opinion is if I send my child to a school and they're misled or mistaught, I will give account to God because they were in that environment. So for that reason, I have no choice. Christian school is it. And again, people say Christian schools are weak. That's not been the case with me. Uh, my children all have college degrees from state universities, and they went 13 years to Christian school. So I'm very much for education in the local church. Let's talk about ministry goals and philosophy. What are your expectations for lay ministers or assistants? Uh, I feel like that a man's gift will make room for itself. And uh, I feel like that we should not ignore people that have a calling on their life. Uh, 
and we need to assess them as the need presents itself. Of course, some of them, again, are, uh, they see the glamour of it, and that's what they're after is the limelight. That person is probably not even called. Uh, but if they are, they need to be guided to understand there's basics that have to be learned, and the right to the pulpit is earned through subjection and, and consecration, dedication, and study. Uh, they can't go from zero to where a seasoned preacher's been for 25 years and do and say the same things they say. Privilege and ability is something that is way to wait on. It says that he that ministers, let him wait on his ministry. Amen. What motivates you as a minister? The desire to help people who don't know truth and to win the lost is the ultimate goal, of course, and then to take care of the sheep that already know the truth. Yeah. And some people believe a church can uh, become too big. Others feel that a church should become as large as possible. What are your views on this? Uh, I feel like if, if the administration and leadership is willing to employ or at least use enough people to help them, the, the early church had three to 5,000, but God did scatter them to and allow it to be done. Uh, and probably every person's needs are different. Some people would function much better in a smaller church. But as a minister, I look at it as souls. If you're really winning souls and not just swelling from drawing off of other churches, uh, I think it's a great thing, however big it is. But one man cannot take care of three or 4,000 people by himself and do it right. He needs help, and he needs to be willing and trusting to get that help. And what are some of the greatest challenges facing the church today, do you think? Uh, carnal uh, attitudes, attitude against the Bible, uh, popular opinion to undermine the authority of the Scripture. In fact, I heard one preacher say that we had no accurate Bible. We would have to depend on the Spirit to lead us in the day that we live in, and I vehemently disagree with that. Because God said He'd preserve His Word forever, and I feel like He's done that. And if we, you know, if we're challenged in that way, if we have no Bible, then all we're operating on is opinion and spirits, and they may not all be the right spirit. So the Bible, really the whole Bible rightly divided in the New Testament is the only rule of faith and practice for us is what we need to go by. So the greatest challenge to me is a challenge to authenticity of the Scripture and a real experience with God. People try to make the church a social club, and that's not what it is. <laughs> hey, for a new pastor, what would your top three priorities be? To be sure first that I was where God wanted me to be, location-wise and spiritual-wise, uh, then to be willing to listen to people who have gone the same route that I've gone and get advice uh, and not just the words that I want to hear but what I need to hear uh, and study and prayer. 
And what is a pastor's primary, a primary, you know, responsibility? To feed the sheep uh, and to mentor them to want to win others. You know, as some preachers, it's just a maintenance situation. But I, I don't think any church will have lasting success that's stagnant. They must have outreach. And for people to have outreach, they're going to have to be taught to do outreach. Gotcha. And how can I be faithful to all that God has called me to do and be? Well, first of all, you would make sure what areas God wanted you to work in and then follow the leadership of the Spirit. And the way to be successful in that is through prayer. There's no substitute for prayer and talking to God. And second to that is study, in my opinion. And a big one is, how am I supposed to deal with the troubles that obviously seem to come with a ministry? Uh, prayer, and the people who have had the same experience should be capable of giving you good advice. Um, the Bible says a multitude of counselors is wisdom. And uh, just because you're called or have a wave of success does not mean that you know everything. Right. So that you have to be careful with. Because, you know, God said that no flesh would glory in his presence. Yeah. And God would temporarily let us fall on our face and teach us a lesson. And it's been said that the legacy a pastor should leave behind is a band of men and women who have been trained and equipped to carry on the ministry from generation to generation. Give your thoughts on this call to pastors and how the scripture instructs them to carry out this responsibility. Uh, I feel like that is a very good statement because I have known preachers that when it was nearing the sunset of their ministry, they cared not what happened to their ministry. In other words, they killed their own baby. And to me, the greatest feeling of success in my personal life that I've ever had is in my own family, my children choosing to live and believe what I've taught when they have a choice not to do it. Of course, when they're very small, they have no choice. They, they're drugged to church whether they want to go or not. But uh, when, you, when you have reared them to adulthood and they make the same choices that you would give your life for them to make, then that's a success. And the same thing would be true with a flock. You can lead people, but if you drive them, when the driver's gone, they'll be gone too. But if, if they actually have an access to and learn truth for themselves, uh, you know, the scripture said that the disciples in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you sow seed in their heart that they take and they understand and know, then uh, your work should travel on after you're long gone, I think. Yeah. Now, most men would agree that there is no higher responsibility than to be the spiritual leader in their home. Nevertheless, I believe many Christian husbands would be hard-pressed to write a job description for the position. Will you share some principles that will help men understand this calling? Uh, I feel like in, in the, the responsibility of the home that... Uh, the father should be an example to his children, especially to his sons, because uh, in the home role, uh, dads usually are the principal figure. 
is how God would want it to be. But in all too many homes, if there's prayer, the mother does it. If uh, preparations for church, the mother does it. And the fathers and also, and I don't think that ought to be. Uh, children should uh, see parents that are consistent. And I think advice in the home would be if a mother and dad disagree, they need to discuss it outside the earshot of their children because if they don't, then they'll sow doubts in their children that they may never be able to unravel. Tell me, what, Dr. Steele, is your style of leadership? Well, my preaching is primarily evangelistic. And I guess that as far as the style of leadership, it would be more on a one-on-one basis as far as uh, dealing with people, uh, smaller groups, talk with your ideas and your goals. People don't need to be left in the dark. And uh, gone are the days, and that may be good or bad, that we can successfully say you're going to do it because I said do it, and you don't need a reason. People today are educated. They think for themselves, and I feel like as a minister we owe explanations for what we teach and believe and the decisions that we make. And how do you protect your time? Well, a preacher's time is to an extent everybody's time, but he needs time to come apart because even Jesus did. He needs time alone to think, reflect, pray, and those type things. And just, you know, nowadays you can do that because of automobiles getting away from situations. Right. Yeah. And when you face a personal problem, say, what, who do you turn to for support and counsel? Mentors that I know can be trusted and ministers that have my best interest at heart when they counsel or talk with me. You know, people that you feel free to bear your soul to. Uh, and that, again, needs to be a prayerful, careful thing because some people have ultimate goals and they'll destroy you. Yeah if they get a chance. And what boundaries do you hold in place between your professional role and your private family life? Uh, Well, in my situation, my whole family's involved in the ministry. But uh, there's times, once, twice a year, we do things as a family uh, and vacation or whatever. And most all the children and grandchildren and everybody's included. But I'm a people person. You know, I wish we had 30 people living in my house. But my <laughs> pastor's wife said, that's because you can leave when you get ready to leave all of that with your wife to take care of. <laughs> so that's probably true. But I, I've always said I didn't care if I had a pig pen full of children. And the more, the better. Amen. So. Well, I've seen this firsthand, so, but how do you spend a normal day? Well, it depends on which day it is. Yeah. Uh, of course, prayer, and kind of thinking and setting goals for the day, and then coffee. I drink coffee, and uh, I spend time in meditation and prayer first. And then uh, just kind of, in my situation, I take it as it comes. It's different things. And, of course, I'm very, very involved in education, so I have several things like that that are that I'm involved in 
on a daily basis as well. And I have good help. So. Well, as a young minister, how did you balance work, family, study, prayer time, all that? How did you do that? Well, again, it, it, most of it is a squeaking wheel gets a grease. And I've made mistakes along the way that way, too. But uh, I've always tried to include family. And, uh, you know, my ministry and my family is inseparable in my case. I realize everybody's just not that way. But, uh, and I know certain things could happen that would divide all that. But that's been my experience. And you know, everything's built around church instead of building church around my ideals and goals. This is a big topic nowadays, social media. Do you believe a pastor or minister should be involved in social media? Uh, on a limited basis, but a pastor's got to be very careful that he's not too involved with other churches' saints. Uh I think it's very important, and a lot of people are failing this test that are even friends of mine. The doctrine and the things that we hold near and dear should not be made a matter of joke and sport and fun. And there are preachers that do that. They claim, well, this forum's just for ministers. But I indeed do not know one forum that's not full of non-ministerial saints. And it causes people to lose confidence in the ministry if they don't keep the ministry on a higher level than foolishness. And, and I'm, I'm not a prude or anything like that, but uh, there's just certain things that we should be above because new converts and saints don't understand when we want everybody to be serious at church and then we act like a total imbecile or idiot outside church. And social media has that danger. But if it's used properly, then we can use it as an outreach and advertising tool. And, uh, you know, I think on a limited basis if they can handle it. But if you can't handle it right, the best thing is shut the thing off. Right. That's my opinion. Let's talk about what study resources you use for to come up with a sermon as far as... Well, I use uh, Parsons BibleSoft a computer program that has good concordance, Greek, uh, etc. And I also use Logos. I'm kind of new into Logos, but I have a very good Logos program that has a lot of the commentaries I've had for years. I've used Pulpia Commentary, Biblical Illustrator, and some of the others, Adam Clark and different ones. Uh, but I always try to keep it into perspective that that is their opinion, and I compare the opinions. Uh, in study. And how do you study? Uh, it depends on what the need is at times. Sometimes I study by subjects, uh, you know, and find as many references as possible on that subject. Sometimes it's a situation where I need a Bible lesson to with everyday practical living and uh, search scriptures, etc., to teach that. And then sometimes it's a book by book, given the history and how that applies to us. Um, and then, of course, you can go deeper into all of that with the Greek and Hebrew, and et cetera. Right. 
And are there any teaching topics that you plan on, like an annual basis? Uh, I go through a series periodically on the outward standards and holiness. Uh, I don't know if you could say in 11 months and four days, but I, I do a series on, on the Bible. Uh, I'm a very strong believer in the King James Version of the Bible for our time and our place. I do realize that the same basic scriptures translated into other languages. But uh, I feel like in the English-speaking world, we can look at the King James Version and say, that is my Bible. And uh, it's correct. I think it's a grievous, grievous mistake that preachers try to say that there's so many errors in the King James and we have no Bible. So I teach my church vehemently to look at the King James Version as their Bible. Although I do use other you know, uh, translations, but I use them strictly as commentary. Gotcha. So I do a series on that. Periodically I teach on the nine spiritual gifts and uh, practical everyday living at times. And how much time each week is dedicated sermon preparation for you? Uh, hours. Yeah. I don't know that I can put a cap or a minimum on it. But hours on Sunday, I usually teach with a PowerPoint. And it's my practical, everyday teaching for the churches on Sundays, usually with PowerPoint. Not always. And I always reserve the right for the Spirit to intervene to go a different route altogether. And uh, usually on Sunday nights, evangelistic. But sometimes that role is totally reversed. And I use Wednesday nights a lot for the preachers that are coming on to have a chance to preach. But in our services, we have as many on Wednesday nights as we do Sunday because we teach faithfulness to the church. So, And how, how does that compare to the time spent, obviously, in other pastoral duties? Uh, well, time-wise, I guess it takes longer to fulfill duties than it does if you're where you're isolated where you can study and get the job done. And probably a guess would be twenty five percent study and seventy five percent practical carrying it all out. You know, that's just a guess, but Well let's let's talk about music and worship. You have a church that is unbelievable in music and a lot of churches don't have that. Uh, what role does music and singing have in a worship service? I think it's very, very important, but we don't need to let it become a substitute for the ministry and prayer and preaching. Uh, and in the early days of my church, uh, I've had many services with just a worn-out piano with someone who could hardly play it in a tambourine. But we had church and prayed people through to the Holy Ghost, and I preached. If you preach, the Lord will add to other things as you need them. Yeah. And that's been my experience. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about church culture. Now, I live in an area of the country where the scene of Pentecost has changed drastically. What do I do? As a minister or as a saint? 
Well, it's it's talking about as being a minister in this. Well, it's better to be able, if you have a choice, to say I'm glad I did than to say I wish I had. You can't let it get ahead of you or you can get yourself painted in a corner where you can't get out. And, of course, the, the trend to force change on the apostolic Pentecostal movement is great everywhere. I realize in different areas of the country, your ability to resist that is easier than it is in some others. But a preacher has to be very wise and stay on top of it. Because if you ever let it get totally out of hand, then you're in trouble. Yeah. And what defines great people? A great life. <laughs> a great that's, life. That's, yeah. In my opinion, that's what makes people great. Yeah. I yeah. may not always agree with them, but if they live what they preach and they're sincere in what they preach, then they stand to be corrected and changed or... Uh, but I think great people are people who live a great life. And what defines a great church? A group of great people. <laughs> I like it. Love it. And how involved in community do you become? Uh, our church is, is very involved in community uh, in ways. My son is the planning and zoning chairman for the city of BB which I think is a great compliment to our church. And we try to, when things come up, uh, we try to involve the school in planting flowers on the roadways and, and uh, reaching out to the community because we will implode if we don't reach out to others. And I think we need to reach out to others in every legal way possible that doesn't transgress our doctrine or what our lifestyle is. And what factors do you believe tend to limit churches in achieving their mission? Uh, indecision, uh, missing the day to, to make changes or to do the reach out. I mean, you can wait till your opportunity passes. You know, some people can't decide what shoe to put on first. And the thing of it is, when we know there's a job there to be done, the thing of it is, is back up and do it. And, and uh, if you fail, it's better to know that you tried and failed than to know that you never tried at all. Yeah. Yeah. And really, if we're in the will of God, eventually we're going to succeed. If you hit the rock enough times with the hammer, it will finally burst. <laughs> So what are some of the most important ideas and practices that you think cultivate health in a local church? Involvement. Uh, you need to get everybody involved in everything they're qualified to be involved in. Some people don't meet certain qualifications. and uh, Of course, they couldn't be used in that capacity, especially if it's a spiritual qualification. But I think involvement, prayer meetings... Uh, the more involved they become in their church, the more they sacrifice and labor for their church, the more they feel responsible that this is my church. It's a bad mistake when a church is totally built around one man's personality because if nothing else gets in time, we'll eventually get him. And if the whole thing is built around a central figure, 
then the standards will be lost, everything will be lost when the leadership is gone. Be it male or female, it wouldn't matter. Right. What do you think is the greatest need of the North American church? Uh, the greatest need at this present time is back to the basics. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Strong doctrine and strong holiness preaching and living. And it's a fact, if it's not preached, it will not be lived. Eventually, that you know, you don't have to preach against something to stop it. All you got to do is quit saying anything. Yeah. So, as far as I don't see any signs, wonders, miracles in my church, what can I do as a pastor? Uh, there again, what's taught. A church that preaches a lot about the Holy Ghost is going to have a lot of people getting the Holy Ghost. When healing's preached on a lot, there's going to be a lot of healings take place. And I think things that are preached and encouraged long enough and you get people on the bandwagon, so to speak, to, to want to see these things, God's going to produce what he said yeah. if we do what it takes to move him to do that. And how often do you uh, conduct communion? Uh, no real month-by-month -month system. Hopefully at least once a year, maybe more. Uh, now in our church, and I know some of them are doing it different, uh, there is no communion without foot washing, the cup, and the bread. You have not had communion if you don't have all three. Right. And I know a lot of them are doing it at different times and doing away with it. We have a lot of uh, ideas around the apostolic church today that if the preacher says it's okay, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. But it matters very much. If the Bible teaches something, the preacher has no authority to change it. Standards and that type of thing, God's got him in there to set them. But biblical doctrine is not an option in communion to one another. How do you view your role in visiting church members and visitors? Uh, there was a time in my early days that I visited nearly everybody every day, but it, as your church grows, you can't do that. So actually, you answer the calls when they call. Uh, you go if they want you to come. You can do a lot of prayer and counseling over the phone. Uh, of course, if they start missing, you need to go immediately and find out what the cause is. But I've noticed that people who quit church, they quit praying. The next thing, they quit giving. And the next thing, they vacate their pew. So when you see this coming, prevention is good. Sometimes you can do it. And sometimes the best of the best cannot save people if they've got their mind made up that they're not going to do it. What do you think are the most challenging ethical issues facing uh, ministers today? Mega churches uh, who bleed off the smaller church is a real problem because people who are borderline can fade into the woodwork and they don't have to live as much and that makes a problem and a struggle on the smaller church. Uh, as far as ethical situations and 
as time goes on, people have more choices. I mean, the sky's the limit to what some churches let people do. So if they don't like what you preach, they can just change churches. Whereas used to, people had to backslide. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not true anymore. That's probably the greatest pressure today is... But some of that's been brought on by our own kind because they didn't give a good enough explanation and people don't accept things just because you said it only. Right. Or if they do, it's not a lasting commitment. Yeah. This one obviously is a topic about ethics again, but how do you handle it when other ministers spread untruths about you? Depends on what it is and how it is. Uh, the best thing if it's serious, is to go to them immediately. And generally speaking, if it's just a loose talk, they back off. But you're spending a lifetime spinning your wheels because if it's a lie, you're never going to get anybody to say, I lied. Somebody told me, but I can't remember who said it. Yeah. Uh, such as I knew one time this situation happened. A preacher told another preacher uh, that this preacher had women problems. Well, he thought that the preacher meant adultery. So they told it, and he got to be into a real fiasco. But when they boiled it down, the preacher was talking about his problem with lady preachers. <laughs> and uh, the apologies were made, and things were made right, and as best it could be. But we need to be careful. I mean, you can look at the medical world. If it's not real serious, doctors are going to stand together in a malpractice situation. And of course, you know, people think they have deep pockets and file lawsuits, and you can get experts to help them. But there are people out there who are not real that are in the ministry, and they would do whatever hurt they felt like they wanted to do to gain for themselves. But people who do that lose in the end. Sometimes, when things are told that's untrue, the best thing is to just keep on doing what you're doing and say nothing. It depends on what it is and who it affects. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about young ministers. What would your criteria be for developing fellowship circles? You mean within a church? Um, no, actually outside the church, probably. Well, I don't think anybody's best friend should be somebody that's not in the church. Right. Uh, we do have to reach out to sinners. Jesus did. But when it gets to where the outside the church people are more important than your brothers and sisters in the church, you've got problems from the get-go. Yeah. And usually it's an internal problem on the church guys. And some people are destroyed because... Uh, they learn to manipulate, and then the sinner that knew no better, it's at their expense. They get rebuked and, and a big mess trying to save the one in the church. So the prevention should be to talk with them and include them. The best thing is to include people who are not in the church with church functions that are well supervised and taken care of because we don't want them changing us. Right. And it's a fact in the day we live in, the church has gotten worldly and the world has got churchy. And it's hard to tell the difference. Yeah. And as a young minister, 
how, how do I know if I'm called to preach? Uh, it would be a, a vehement. It, it, of course, it varies with people. I've heard people say they had an audible voice speak to them. That never happened to me. Uh, I just knew that I had to do it. I mean, it was just like learning to walk and talk. I mean, I just it's just something I knew. It's part of my fiber, my being. And I'm very, very uh, convinced that I am. Uh, but I never heard an audible voice speak to me to do it. But, uh, mostly inspirational and about where to go and what to do. That's what happened with me going to BB. Uh, the night I graduated from high school, I spent most of the night in prayer. And I'm not that super spiritual, but it was, I'd hitchhike so long to Christian school and then all at once it's over. Now what am I going to do? So, and I really felt the unction and the definite leading to do what I'm doing. And, uh, of course, you know, my sunset's coming. But uh, it depends on the person. And I think God deals different with different people because of their nature. You know, God works through our nature as well as his will, too, to get a message across to us. Yeah. So... It would depend on a lot of what their goals are, if they think they're called to preach. And uh, I think it takes a real man that thinks he is and he gets out there and it's not working out to say, well, listen, I missed it. I'm not called to preach. I'm called to help somebody. Right. And uh, a very good book uh, that I think everybody that feels any kind of option that they're called to preach should read is... Uh, called God's Armor Bearers by Nance. And uh, it's it's not on... It, it's showing you how that you can be a success being a second. And so that would open up some doors that we need opened up today. Uh, it's a very good book that anybody that's aspiring to call. Uh, but actually, if God wants you to do it, you'll never get away from it. I mean, it's something that Especially if you consecrate and dedicate and you're in prayer, uh, God's not going to give up on it. Yeah. And how do I know when it's God's timing? Well, I think a lot of that would play into being under the right leadership. I've known preachers that tried to hold people who were ready to go, and, and then I've known preachers that let them go when they were certain disaster because they were not prepared. Uh, God's timing, if you have the right leadership, would really be dependent on your leadership. But there again, uh, you know, they say some are mama called and daddy sent, and that's true. (laughs) Uh, Some, you know, they say, well, I never was called. I saw the need and got up and went. I've heard people say a lot of stuff. But... uh, God's gift will make room for itself. There will be a need that at the moment you must fulfill. Okay, and how can a young man serve as pastor or church developing a, a, a relationship, obviously, with your pastor? Okay. Uh, availability, small things that take the load off of the pastor, but yet may not every time they put you in the limelight 
the problem is most people want high recognition for everything they do. And some people only want to assist the pastor because they get in the inner circle they think in their mind. But little things that people can do for their pastor is, if that's the question, I mean, right. that's, yeah. that's what really counts. Gotcha. And how do you balance pastor slash saint relationships? Uh, the pastor's a friend to everybody in the church, but the pastor can't be your best buddy 24-7. He has to pastor people besides you. And uh, so, and we need to understand when he's in the pulpit, he is my pastor, not my buddy, not my daddy, not my brother, or my best friend. He's my shepherd, he's my leader. And it's important to be able to divide the difference. Now, do you have an unlisted number? And, no, sir. Okay, and obviously, do you believe pastors should have one? Some pastors would probably have to because of the size of their church. Uh, I have about 200 in my church, and everybody, if they want it, has my cell number, my office number, and my own phone number. I have, in time past, had an extra number for my family in case the line was busy. But I hadn't even had that in a while. I didn't give that to everybody, but I had a home phone number and still do that they could reach. Gotcha. And who are some of the greatest men of God you know who are alive today? Well, different fields, different ways. Uh, I, I have a very strong admiration for Brother Kenneth Bowe. Uh, he's come through a lot of hardships in his life and is one of the best preachers that I know of anywhere. And uh, uh, Brother Don Heyman has been consistent with his preaching and has reared a family that still reveres God and is in the church. Uh, my own pastor, although we did not always agree, lived and died what he preached and was very consistent with his beliefs throughout his life. And to me, that way is very important. Of course, he's gone. You asked me to Right. Living. Well, that, actually, that was my next question. Who are some of the men of God that you've ever known personally or known who are gone now and passed away? Uh... I preached for several of them, and some of them I knew. Brother Noel Daniel uh, was a great, great man, and uh, has been a great man of faith, and I had great admiration for him. Uh, Brother Roy Rowley, although not an educated man, reared a family that loves God, and the most of them go to church and serve God, and I would regard him as a a great man of God. Bishop A.O. Holmes, that's deceased, and left a great heritage for a lot of people. And uh, he was a, a fine, one of the greatest administrative leaders I've ever known. And what are some of the greatest visitations of God that you have ever experienced so far in your life? Uh, I've had 
some very, very deep experiences that some of them saddened me because the things that I knew uh, were not good for the person I found them out about, which I can't go into detail because it might reveal somebody that's trying to do right. Uh, and I've had God to wake me up at night and, and tell me of things that were very, very important. In 1974, I went to the country of Jamaica and I had a very, very serious, strong dream that made me desire to go there. I'd never been to Jamaica. Of course, it's just a place to go. And they have so many apostolics, they need to send missionaries up here, so it wasn't really that. But in this dream, uh, I saw this house, and the person who lived in the house was dying with cancer. And I believe it as strong as I do we're talking that that person would have been healed based on my dream when I went. But there, you don't knock on anybody's door, you holler from the gate. And sure enough, I saw the very house I dreamed about, and I'd never even been to the country, much less the village out in the bush. And sure enough, I was able to find out somebody lived in the house who was dying with cancer, but they would never admit us to the house, and I never saw it. So that was sad, because I sure believe it would have happened. Yeah. You know, based on me getting all that information in advance. Uh, and I've seen some very supernatural things in church, instantaneous healings and things that were very, very serious. Yeah. Uh, I know when I first got the Holy Ghost, we had a lady who came to our church. I don't know that she ever accepted truth, but she had had a lung removed by surgery, and they had found a spot as big as a silver dollar, which was a pretty good size in those days, on her other lung. And she heard that my home church believed in healing. So she came, got prayer, and went in for tests the next day. Well, during the same revival, she came back, and you could tell it wasn't made up. She was crying. They checked her, and they said, both your lungs are in perfect condition. So she had a lung created that had been removed. Well, I don't know what she ever did spiritually, but I never saw her again. But uh, I've seen some things like that and been healed. My family has. Uh, I've seen numerous times that children were just burning with fever and as I anointed them to pray for them I felt the fever go down under my hands and they were normal when we quit praying. Amen. So that's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Shield, tell me when it's all said and done how do you want to be remembered? Uh Hopefully I can be remembered as somebody who preached my convictions, that my convictions were Bible, and that I live by what I preached. Amen. like that. That's good. That's, you know, I hope I can do that, and that's a lot. Yeah. Amen, amen. Well, this has been uh, a great HDR Preacher's Corner here with Dr. Shield. Appreciate your time. And, uh, Again, 
listen to HR Preacher's Corner. Uh, we'll tell you the times and uh, when it's coming on. And also, you can check our website and app for uh, downloads. God bless you all. How to serve Jesus and praise Him through it all. I'll never forget the truths I've been shown. From God's word, they will live on. Listen, my heritage, my Christian heritage.